Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. But a lot of what's being told to direct marketers today as far as how to sell their product and get rich and the copywriters is bad advice to put it mildly and just flat out wrong to put it bluntly. And it's going to cost them a fortune in lost revenue because what works in copywriting now in a more competitive market and in a more media crazy market is totally different than what worked back in the old days. It's Michael Sinoff with Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. You know, over the last few years, Mike Pavlish has made millions of dollars as an A-list copywriter. Established in 1988 and with over a 1,000 projects, Mike Pavlish has become one of the world's leading copywriters for direct marketing pros and entrepreneurs in the fields of health, investment and information products, and services sold online and offline. He has written winning copy for clients like J.A. Abraham, the late Gary Halbert, Howard Ruff, Prentice Hall, Campbell Soup, Rio Las Vegas Hotels and Casinos, Phillips Publishing, and many more. Mike knows the ins and outs of the trade in the little-known angles that bring in big winners. And he's found today that today's market is significantly different than it was even just a few years ago. In fact, he says much of the advice given nowadays is not only outdated and wrong, but it's costing entrepreneurs serious money. So in this interview, you'll hear how to make sure your copywriting is current for the consumers of today. These consumers have grown skeptical about overly hyped products and outrageous claims. They also don't have time to read through mountains of copy, especially if it sounds like something they've already heard before. Fortunately, though, there are specific techniques that appeal to this new generation of consumers. And in this interview, Mike's going to reveal what he's learned over the years. Here's what's waiting for you in this exclusive interview. The secrets on how to write headlines that stop readers in their tracks, how to work your copy so it's fresh for today's markets. Consumers avoid the same old, same old, and so should you. How to use focus groups to ferret out hidden objections about your product. How to use online news groups to uncover what people really want. What's most important for winning promotions? If you think it's the headline, the offer, or the list, think again. How to structure your fees so you don't lose the shirt off your back. Sneaky little tricks to maximize your profits from direct mail, and much, much more. If you're a direct marketer, follow Mike Pavlish's advice, and it won't be long before you're years ahead of your competition. This interview is 60 minutes. Now let's get going. How much do you make as a copywriter? My tax returns, taxable income in the last short number of years show a taxable income of over $4.2 million. Now, I'm sure when you first started, it wasn't always like that. Why don't you take me back to the beginning? How did this all start? I started copywriting in the early, mid-80s, and the reason I did it first was because I was always very entrepreneurial, and I had businesses that relied heavily on sales and marketing, and I couldn't find anybody, or I had a knack at doing my own copywriting to sell my own products and services and get leads for sales a sales force and things of that nature. Give me an idea of what were some of the businesses you One of them was like a Valpac business. I had 14 sales guys 
and I developed the direct mail to a good direct mail package to get leads coming in for them. Did you buy into like a franchise deal or you started it on your own? No, it was my own. And interestingly enough, it's the same company name I use now, which is Profit Boosters. Really? So what was the idea? You were selling advertising to local and regional businesses to advertise with your Profit Boosters direct mail pack? Right. Was it postcards or kind of like the Valpack printed? It's the Valpack. So you had to develop copy that would get potential advertisers to advertise with you. Right. And the next business I was in was Rare Coins. As an investor and collector myself, I wanted to sell the coins. I developed an investment company that sold investors rare investment-grade coins, and I did the copywriting for that. Were you at the same time getting all the newsletters like Gary North and all the newsletters on the Rare Coin and Numismatic Investments? Yeah, Howard Ruff. In fact, I did copywriting for Howard Ruff. I'm going to guess that's where maybe you were introduced to Abraham and Gary Albert and all those guys. Yes. Okay, so operating your own businesses, you had the need to develop strong copying. Were you winging it at that time, or were you studying any of the masters? I had been studying John Caples, who I still think has the best books for a person that wants to be great at copywriting. I still think he has the best books out there. John Caples, and I was studying then at the time, My Life in Advertising, Scientific Advertising, Claude Hopkins, David Ogilvy, and that type of stuff. What did you think of Gary Halbert's stuff? Did you know him in that area? Yes, I knew Gary for a very, very long time. How were you introduced to him? I was introduced to Gary by Tony Casday, who had a sweepstakes-related company in Las Vegas. Actually, what happened with Gary Halbert was funny. It was right before my wedding, 1990. He wanted me to speak at one of those seminars he gave me. It cost people at that time $5,000 a person. This was in Marathon, Florida, where he lived. Yeah, I think that was his Key yeah. West seminar. So he wanted me to come down and speak to his attendees there. I think I was going to speak two days before the wedding or something, and I told him that, and he, and he said, screw the wedding, this is important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I came down and spoke there, and actually I brought my wife, and she got to relax before the wedding, so it worked out good. And then I spoke at the Seminar of the Century in Los Angeles. Did you study his stuff and read his newsletter? Yes. Were you impressed with his skills as a copywriter? Did you learn from him? Yes, most definitely. How about Ben Suarez? Did you ever meet him? Yes, I have. I've written for him and his companies. You've written for him? Okay. Was Dan Kennedy from that area, too? Yeah, in fact, I just saw Dan a couple weeks ago, and Dan is about 20 minutes from me. You wanting to write better copy for your own companies, were you a rabid reader, voracious student of audio, seminars, books, anything you can get your hands on on the subject of copywriting or more in a direct mail fashion? Copywriting and then all kinds of direct response, direct mail marketing. Who were some of your other mentors that you really learned from? What about Eugene Schwartz? Not in a great way, no. I try to be on about every mailing list in the world. So, therefore, I get the successful direct mail packages from marketers, and you see the same ones over and over again, and I try to study the proven winners. That way is as good as any because it's a real-world test. Michael, one of the things I want to talk to you about, a lot of what's being told to direct marketers today as far as how to sell their product and get rich and the copywriters is bad advice to put it mildly and just flat-out wrong to put it bluntly and it's going to cost them a fortune in lost revenue because what works in copywriting now in a more competitive market and in a more media-crazy market is totally different than what worked back in the old days. So let's talk about some of those differences. What do you see that the other copywriting gurus are teaching about copywriting? What is their message? And based on your experience, your long track record, and the rapid changes of today, what changes have you made in your copy that you've seen proven results? Let me start with headlines. Companies are getting advice that their headlines should use the so-called power words and give huge, big, bold, outrageous promises to get people's attention and interest. The louder you yell, the more you're going to sell. Well, what's happening then is people have a bullshit detector, and the more hyperbole and power words you put into a headline, the worst it's probably going to do. Let me give you a couple of actual examples from headlines that I've written. This is for a pain relief supplement. 
like an anti-inflammatory. There's two headlines that were tested. The first was, this amazing pain eliminator instantly zaps all back pain from your body with no drugs and no surgery. And the second headline was, a new way to end your back pain. The first headline is chosen as the winner by most people, but it did not win in split testing. The second headline got 237% more orders. The reason being is that it has the news factor to it. People want to see what's new and what's news, and it doesn't hype and use these power words to excess. It is more believable. There's another thing I want to bring out before I give you another example of that, and that's what I call a differential transformation element. You have to right away in your copy these days tell people what it is that you're selling and what makes it different or unique. People aren't going to wade through copy and even read it if they think it's the same old, same old. Like if you're trying to sell them, let's say, a pain relief supplement that has glucosamine and chondritin and MSM, because that's what every other pain relief supplement in the world contains. You have to tease at or hint at or tell them what's new and what makes your product new and different. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like the USP, unique selling proposition. You've got to do your research and figure out how it stands out compared to everything else out there. Yeah, bingo, bingo, bingo. You hit the right word there, which is research. That's what direct marketers don't do enough of or they don't or copywriters don't do enough of is research to find out what the market wants the most, what they're not getting now that you can give them. Because truly, if you know who you're writing to and you find out what he wants, how he wants it, what he believes, how much he'll pay for it, then you have a great shot at a huge winner because you just fulfill what he wants. That can only be done through hard work, painstaking, grueling research that can take dozens and dozens and dozens of hours. Well, I'd love to know your process on the research. Take us through the process. I do a lot in the natural health supplement field. That has to do with diet, weight loss, pain relief, men's potency issues, prostate issues, memory, et cetera, et cetera. Today I'm working on a project from an old client for a vitamin B12 patch with folate in it also. So it has B12 and folate. Now, my experience told me if you come out and try to sell another B12 product, it's just too vanilla, too plain. They've seen that. They don't see the need for it or they can get it at Walmart. So what I did find out was that the nutrient folate has to be added to vitamin B12 in the right dosages to make it most effective. So basically what I did was I Googled my sources to find out about vitamin B12 deficiency, and then I went to the scientific journals and read all the new studies on it and picked out the ones that made this case of why folate needs to be included with the B12. I went a step further and found out all the different health issues that are affected by the vitamin B12 deficiency. What that led to was a concept that there's a link that brings all these health problems together that you can now take this revolutionary product to help your health problems in this area. It's kind of the missing link. Did anyone have a vitamin B12 with the folate out in the marketplace? There was a couple, but knowing the market as well as I do, not many of them and not very powerfully. No, we're just small nickel and dime companies here. Speaking of research, is that part of your research process is to research your competition and see how they're selling and marketing theirs? Yes. All right, so you knew the competition. This project you're working on, was it a direct mail letter or space advertising or what? A direct mail letter. It's actually a Magalog. All right, had you looked at other Magalogs or direct mail promoting the competitors of vitamin B12 with folate? Yes. And did you do that before you started Googling looking for your unique selling proposition? Yes. Okay, so you read what they had first. All right, so you researched your competitors first, and you looked at what they had, and in your mind, are you trying to position different? Are you using some of their benefits? Can you borrow anything good from your competitors? Is that recommended? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. As long as you don't infringe on any copyright issues. All right, so take me into more detail. You looked at your competitors, then you started doing your own research. You went right to the scientific journals. Was it important to go to the scientific journals to cover your butt when the piece comes out that you can reference scientific journals for credibility? 
it's important to cover the marketers, but yes, I have agreements with them that they're responsible for the product, the marketing copy that's put out. I provide them where I found the information. And the reason you have to go back to the scientific journals is that anybody can put anything on the Internet, and that's not credible by itself. It has to be from a study or from a doctor or something like that. There are some studies out there that are maybe not that credible. Do you know which are the credible studies and which ones really aren't? Yeah. The big thing is that they're published studies, published in a medical journal, double-blind, placebo-controlled, and published in a medical journal. All right, so let's continue. You've got all the symptoms of the deficiency, and you're tying it all together with the combination of the folate and the B12. Yes. In other words, this is rough, but, you know, new medical research links lack of energy, memory loss, weak brittle bones, weak muscles, and some emotional issues together. A vitamin B12 deficiency is the common link. But here's the hook. My research then had to go a step further, and this was by talking to people doing a focus group and also looking at discussion boards and bulletin boards. All right, let's start with the focus group. Tell me what a focus group is, how you use that in your research. I have a group of 10 people that are in my office complex that I'll bring together about once a week and buy them lunch. And for an hour or so, I just sit there and show them headlines, ask them things, to have them tell me what their objections about a product would be and things of that nature. And then if I need to, I'll go to a larger focus group. Have you been doing this for many years? Yes. Just to get outside opinions. Yeah, I want to know what the average person is. Thinking. Give me an example how you'll present this product to your focus group. You got everyone together, you're having lunch. What do you say to them? In this case, you know, there's new medical research that links together these 10 different medical problems. The common denominator is a vitamin B12 deficiency. What do you guys think about taking a B12 vitamin product? They say, well, you know, after they say, oh, it's a good idea. Well, then how many of you take one now? You know, no hands went up. So then, okay, well, why don't you take one? And then here's where the real gold mine and the real pay dirt comes in by digging deep. They say, well, I think it would show up in my exam with my doctor, or I think it would show up in any blood test that I have done. And they're worried about that. Right now, that tells me that is a big objection I have to address right up front. Did that come up for real? Yeah. They don't think they should pay money or go through the expense of buying a B12 supplement because if they were deficient in B12, their doctor would tell them because it would show up in their blood test. Oh, I see. They think that when they do their normal blood, the doctor would let them know. Yes. For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. Okay. And then the second thing that came out from the focus group and the bulletin boards and discussion groups is that the multivitamin pill that I take is a good one, and it has 100% of the government's recommended daily allowance of vitamin B12. Aha, another light bulb. Goes yep. Up. I have to address that issue right up front and powerfully, or it can sound great to them, but when it comes time to pulling out their credit card to call the order, they're not going to because they're going to go back and look at their multivitamin and see that it has 100% of vitamin B12. Okay. What else did you find that was real uh-huh? Well, the folate that has to be in the proper proportion to vitamin B12 and the absorption of vitamin B12 from a supplement the body does not digest in much of it because as a person gets older, their gastrointestinal process works differently. So what the patch does, it's a once-a-week patch, vitamin B12 and folate patch, that evenly distributes it out so that the person does get enough of these nutrients. All right, so let's go back to the research. Your focus group, scientific journals that publish studies, and you mentioned online news groups. Tell me how you're using the groups online specifically for the vitamin B12. What would you search, vitamin B12 news groups? Yes, discussions. You're like a voyeur looking at the discussions from common everyday people with concerns, and you're pulling out concerns and objections that you know you have to cover. Absolutely. That's what's not told much to the direct marketers or to copywriters these days. If me, the copywriter, assumes that I know everything about every product and every market, I'm not going to be successful because nobody is that smart. I have a wealth of experience over 20 years in natural health supplement markets, and I have that same in investment products and information products, but I still cannot guess. You know, and that's why companies pay me the big bucks, because I don't guess. 
I find out for sure what people want, then I give it to them. I mold the product, if possible, to what the prospects want the most and overcome their objections. Well, it's like it reminds me of the Phillips Publishing speech that Eugene Schwartz gave. He said he's not the greatest copywriter out there, but he outworks his competition, and that's why he wins most of the time. He does the work. Bingo, bingo, bingo. And the work is the research mainly, right? It is. So tell me, how does your operation at your company, what does it look like? If I was to come walk into your business, how is it set up? Do you have employees? Are they independent contractors? Are you there five days a week? What's your copywriting business look like? I have two full-time copywriters that work with me here. Have they been with you for a long time? One, 13 years, one, six and a half years. And they're employees, or are they like independent contractors? No, they're employees with full benefits. They're level A copywriters. Do you have a secretary? Yes. Do you have other employees that do research for you? No, that's it. So between the three of you, you're doing all your own research? Correct. So let's say with this vitamin B12 piece, this was a previous client. He comes to you. I've got this product you need to create. What was it, a direct mail piece? Yes. How do you work with your two employees? Do you all have a meeting? You say, here's the new project. Like if I was sitting in on the meeting, how do you get started on this project? What do you say? What's your process? And the reason I'm projecting this is there's a lot of people listening who have existing copywriting businesses, and maybe they want to take it to the next step and aspire to be as successful as you and have a long-term career in it. Maybe give them an idea of what it could look like. My way is my way. It may not work for them. But in my way, I'm involved mostly at the beginning of a new direct mail piece or a new Internet sales letter or a new space app and heavily at the beginning, then my other writers do some of the work, then I look at it and jump in, and then at the end I go in, and everything I write is kind of my creation, and I view more as a support team. I've never been able to outsource the job of doing the hard mental work of finding out what's going to make this health supplement or this information product or this investment newsletter a multi-million dollar winner. That I have to do myself. So when you write copy, do you type it or you write it out longhand? <laughs> I do much better when I write out longhand, but I'm getting awfully deadly at cutting and pasting. I do type into the computer. So When you come up with a headline, lots of copywriters are saying, headline, most important element of your copy. Number one, do you agree? And if we're comparing headline, author, list. I would say none of those are the most important things. I would say the most important thing, if you want to make millions of dollars from direct marketing your product or service, is that you choose the right market and the right product. Certain markets you can make a fortune in, whereas certain markets, even the best copywriter in the world will not be able to make you money in. What have you found? What are your favorite markets? Where's the money? The natural health supplement field, and then in that, certain niches, which are the ones that I mentioned earlier, which diet is always a perennial winner, pain relief is always a perennial winner, prostate problems, potency. And are these markets with the aging of the population just booming, getting bigger and bigger, stronger and stronger? Yes. But there's a few other markets besides that. One is telling investors how to make more money. Another one is niche information marketing businesses like I write for a lot of chiropractor gurus and dentist gurus and the contractor gurus that show other business professionals how to get rich in their business by marketing better and running more efficiently. Then you've just got business opportunity. But out of all those, you think the most potential is in the natural health and pain relief? No, I can't. It's hard to say. You know why? It depends on the product. It depends on the timing. It depends on the skill set of the business owner. It depends on the complication factor and the skill factor of that person. It depends on how much money they have to get in to run their business. How about with that type of market, pain relief and herbal products, being an entrepreneur, there's an inherent risk in being involved in that type of industry and with direct mail, and you've got to be real careful with claims. Remedy, what should they be careful of? And have you seen any nightmares of people really getting into trouble? The two key things are, number one, hire a copywriter who's experienced in that field. Then also, and this is mandatory also, is have an attorney that specializes in direct marketing copy for natural health field, review the copy and sign off on it. 
on your samples. I saw the buried from promotion. Did you write the copy for that one? Gary Halbert wrote the original copy. Tell me the story about that. The gentleman behind it, I have a non-disclosure, I can't mention his name, but the Barry Trim mailing in its various incarnations, reincarnations over five, six, seven year period was probably the most mailed promoted diet product in the United States. Give someone an idea of the volume of direct mail pieces mailed per year on a huge project like that. He was mailing the Barry Trim tear sheets exactly 25 to 30 million a year. Was it originally a tear sheet? Yes, it was. Was it always a tear sheet, or did it form into different... It's always a tear sheet. Okay. Were tear sheets new at that time? Was it that format that made it really successful? Uh, That was a part of it, sure. And then you had the celebrity factor with that ex-Dynasty, the TV show Dynasty, that ex-actor from Dynasty, good-looking guy that attracted the women, and then the copy, and then the story. So Halbert did the original tear sheet? Yes, he did. Did he make millions and millions on that promotion? I don't know. And what was your involvement in it? Well, my involvement was to beat the control. Did the client come to you? Yes. And I beat the control and had the control for over two years until he finally retired the project. How long had that control been established, Alberts? Three to five years, probably. Three to five years? How did you beat it? The news angle. I went with more of a news angle. And my headline was, Doctors and TV star reveal how a new discovery from Asia helps overcome the chemical imbalance that keeps people fat. So when you went after beating that control, the owner of the product owned the copy. It was his copy. So your job wasn't to modify the whole piece. It was to just beat the control with what he had, correct? Correct. Do you remember if you tried different headlines? Did you beat it on the first change out, or did you try a couple things before that? I gave him two headlines to test against the control. One of them did not work, and one of them did beat the control. How much did it beat it by? I know when you're mailing millions of pieces, a very small amount can mean a lot of money. But your memory serves my copy headline beat the old Halbert one by 32%. Wow, that's significant. Does it ever worry you, though, when you're writing for these type products in the back of your head that it could come back to haunt you? Definitely. That's why I won't write unless I have a signed release from the marketer. All right, another case study. I've written over a dozen different mailings for Agora. Who is Agora? They publish newsletters on natural health issues, how to improve your health with natural health remedies, and they also publish newsletters on how to make more money from your investment portfolio. That accounts for the vast majority of their business. Do you deal with Bill Bonner? Is he the founder? Yes, but no, I don't deal with him directly as project managers for each division. When they came to you, had you already written for him when they came back to you for another project? Or was this like the first time you went with them? Actually, I remember the first one I did for them was one of their business opportunity clubs. That was a huge winner. And then the honor flew me out there to Baltimore. And then I met with some people. They had his company there. And we discussed some stuff. And then I went out from there to their health mailings and other investment mailings. So once you hit a winner for them, you were like gold to them? Yes. I'm sure your copy brought them in millions and millions of dollars. Correct. And that's why he flew you out there. He wanted to get to know you so you could do that again for him. Correct. Yeah, in fact, there's a quote here that I have on file from a Nina Rose or Nina Rose from Agora. Your copyright has been extremely profitable for us over the past seven years, one mailing after another. You consistently beat the best copywriters in the world that we hire. That's pretty strong. You're listening to an interview on Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. Let me tell you an interesting story, though, that's related to Agora. Lombardi Publishing, Michael Lombardi, is one of the largest direct mailers in the world in the investment and the health areas. And he pays for a certain amount of direct mail copy from me for one-on-one consultation with him. And I was consulting with him about developing new newsletters investment newsletters. So when we met, it was in New York, and I said to him that I thought a newsletter about how to make money off the boom in China has a lot of legs to it, and it's not a fad. It's going to be there forever. So I told him how it was everywhere in the news. It was all over Business Week, Time, Newsweek. And then when you're selling something to investors, you have an older, more educated market. So I named the newsletter and wrote a package that was very successful. The headline on it was, The New Microsoft of China. 
the reason I did that and that proved to be very successful was everybody that's heard of the Microsoft secretaries and receptionists that have become Microsoft millionaires when they got granted 100 shares or 1,000 shares of Microsoft stock and it grew, whatever, 1,000-fold over the next 20 years or whatnot. So, I mean, everybody knows, you know, Bill Gates, richest man in the world, blah, blah, blah. So everybody knows the success of Microsoft. And if you can combine a Microsoft with the amazing growth in China, what was already in people's minds. Yeah, dollar signs. Yeah, dollar signs. Greed glands, and that's what we want. Right. In fact, they did an in-house test against it of this headline on my copy, and it bombed. The one that bombed against it was, Why Investing in China Will Make You More Profits Faster Than Investing in U.S. Stocks. So, again, the hard work is in the research and the mindset and putting one to two together from different sources and stuff. That was a big winner. Anyways, I just thought that was a cool story to tell you how conceptualizing a new newsletter because of a current trend that's already in people's minds. They're wondering, how can I make money from China? So they rolled out with it and created a newsletter? Yes. Yeah. How long did it take to put a package like your sales letter package together? I think that took about six weeks. That was a huge winner. Okay, that's great. I know there's different fees on your website. What have you found over the years to be the best way to structure fees as a professional copywriter? Number one, never, ever, ever do a copywriting project for no money down or no money up front. I bet when I started out and was trying to make a name for myself, I did that at least a half dozen times and never made any money from it, even though I saw my copy being used over and over again. It breeds the wrong kind of people, the wrong kind of clients. So uh, I know that copywriters and marketers are being told they should hire copywriters for no money down. How much should you get down? Let's say it's a $15,000 project. What do you ask for? You mean a flat fee? You tell me what's worked for you. Okay. Well, it depends. Does what work for me 20 years ago or what I do now? Let's start what you were doing maybe 20 years ago, then 15 years ago, and how you've progressed and why you've changed it and what made you change. Was okay. it lessons learned or just because of your positioning now and success and history? Okay. So when I started, I would charge for mailing about, I think it was $2,000 or $3,000 and then five cents per piece that they mailed if they rolled out after a 50,000 name test. Before you take them on, do you make sure that once you write their copy that they agree to do a test like that in those numbers? Yeah, that's in the agreement. And you would ask for how much per piece? Five cents a nickel. I like to couch it in the per thousand terms. In other words, five cents a piece is $50 a thousand pieces mailed. So for every 1,000 pieces they mailed, I get $50. They never got paid on the first 50,000. No, whether it worked or not, I didn't get paid. But they had to agree to do a test at least. Yeah. And then if it worked, they're going to mail again. Right. Okay, and if they mail again, then you get your five cents on everything they mail. Right. Is it for as long as they mail? Yes. How did that work? Did you have people try and cheat you? And how did you control that? Was there a way to control it, or was it at that point a trust issue? Well, let me just make it simple. Now, 2008, you know, maybe instead of the $2,500 base fee, maybe I charge, depending on the piece and all that, 15000 or 20000 plus the royalty. But the key for me and for the direct marketer was that I know the mailing list brokers. I'm on most every mailing list, especially in the niches that I write in. I know the reputation of people. If not, I'll call a client and ask about the reputation of this marketer, as honest as he pays his bills. But, of course, as I was learning this, all the hard knocks, I did get ripped off, sure. Can we talk about list brokers? There's not much information out there on list brokers. Yeah, they're a secretive little bunch, aren't they? Yeah, they are. What advice could you give entrepreneurs about list brokers compared to maybe, you know, getting a subscription to the SRDS direct mail list and doing your research on your own? Is it good to have a list broker? Have they helped you and your clients? Or are they more kind of like real estate agents just out for their commissions? No. You know, I have a 2% rule. Only 2% of the people in any business are really extremely good. If you find that 2% in a copywriter and a list broker, it's gold. So, yes, it's very important because there's a lot of tricks to direct mail that novices don't know until they get to the top level. Like, you can get deals where you are the first mailer that can mail a certain list, and a competitor can't mail it until at least seven days after that. So it's a fresh name that hasn't been mailed to 20 times before. So, for instance, you'll see a list with hotlines, and you'll negotiate for the hotlines for the no, first... No, anyone can buy the hotline. Well, what I'm talking about is something that you never read about, which is to get a first mailer position. 
you have to buy it or negotiate it and do trades or there's other ways to do it where you're the first to mail that hotline to. Not only is it a hotline, but you get the first to mail that hotline. Give me an example. Okay, let's say that Boardroom Reports has a monthly list of people that have bought their books. That's a monthly hotline. Right. Okay. But 50 or 20 companies will rent that list and get the names on the same day from that hotline list. But what if you were the first one to mail that new boardroom hotline list? Yeah, you're going to have an advantage. You're going to have a huge advantage. How do you do that? Is that done through the broker or directly through boardroom, the owner of the list? A little of both. And I'm not saying that boardroom does that or not, but it's a common practice for the most successful drug marketers or, you know, it should be I mean, the ones that I work with or I get them to do that because freshness in a name is gold. So to get that, you can either ask for it or you got to pay a little bit more for that first position? Yeah, those are two possibles. There's are two ways out of many, yeah. That's a great secret. Can you give me something else like that on mailing lists? I'll tell you where a lot of people go wrong in renting mailing lists that do not work for them. Michael, what they do is they rent a list and they don't pay attention to the source of the list or the terms of the offer of the people that bought to get on that list. Let's say that I am Nutrisystems and I'm doing direct mail to get people to buy my Nutrisystem packaged, one month worth of packaged foods. And I'm doing this through a direct mail piece, right? Well, it won't make money if I rent the names of people that have bought fraud, misleading diet pill things because the person that wants the magic pill usually has the opposite income levels and education level and realistic expectation of what's needed to lose weight than someone who'll buy a prepackaged month worth of meals for, say, $300. And TV is a very high impulse item. So usually if you buy a name that was generated from a TV spot, those are the worst quality of names as compared to somebody who bought through a direct mail package or a space ad. And then another thing is, let's say that you rent a list of names, but the people didn't have to pay any money up front, or they only had to pay $5 shipping and handling or something. But the data card of the mailing list tells you that these people paid you know, $100. Well, they didn't. And then there's all kinds of ads you see where people call in with the ads that call for a free supply of this or that, you know. So what you're saying is some of these data cards may not be accurate. And you have to dig. You have to research into these data cards and find out how it was sold, what were the terms, was the advertising sensationalist, and was it overhyped and misleading and unrealistic. If you're selling a product that's the opposite of that, those names will not work for you. So whose job is it to dig out that information? The broker's job? Is that what he's there? Can he provide that service? Can he get the original piece that that list was generated from? A good list broker? Is that what he's there for? Absolutely. So that's him. He's your man to pull that out. Yep. Would you say it's fair to say any top mailer in this country, in the U.S. here, a top mailer who knows what they're doing, they'll research a list like you research information for your clients? Oh, absolutely. So just because you see a data card or the data in the SRDS, don't necessarily believe it. you got to dig for it. Right. Then the companies, like Boardroom, let's say they're renting the list and you have 30 people interested in that list. Boardroom understands that these companies are going to want to see the piece that produced that list. Oh, yeah. And it's their obligation to send it to the customers who are interested in that list, right? Yeah. Well, the broker does that for them, but yeah. The broker does. So if you have a list owner who's not willing to do that or can't verify the source of the list or how it's generated, you better move on. Run, don't walk. And from your experience, are there a lot of poor lists out there? Yes. But, again, that's where, like, you had a great copywriter more than pays his way and a great list broker more than pays his way because they separate that from you so you don't have to deal with that. How about another case study? Did you write a piece for Gary Halbert, a direct mail piece? Yes, I wrote a few different promotions for Gary. So even Gary Halbert, a great copywriter, would hire other copywriters? Sure. Other than your copywriting business, do you have other entrepreneurial ventures going that the backbone has been your existing copy? Yes, I have two now. You like that better than the actual copywriting business? Is it more profitable? Yes and no. I'm sure there's advantages of writing other people's copy and then operating and running your own business. But you hear all the time, well, if he's such a great copywriter, what are you writing other people's copy for? Why don't you write copy for yourself and sell your own product? Well, I do write copy for myself and sell my own products. Marketers should ask that, yeah, absolutely. But the other side of the coin is just because a copywriter does not sell his own products, 
that does not mean he's not a great copywriter. I agree. A whole different skill set is involved yes. in, in just having copy that sells. I agree. You know, it's like the saying I believe in, which is all generalities are wrong, including this one. <laughs> okay, I'll give you a cool story. Okay. Commodity Trend Service, a large direct mail and space advertiser selling people how to make more money, how to make money in commodities, futures, forex trading, options this type of thing, which I've done a lot of work in that whole area. They were looking to beat their control for their commodity trend service, which is a newsletter that tells people how to make money in commodities, pork bellies, you know, silver, gold, wheat, whatever it might be. And they've been around a long time. They were the leader in the field. So they had most of the core investors already. This is my research and questioning them, and my research determined that they had most of the core market, but what they didn't have, and what I wanted to do was bring in tens of thousands of new customers to them, people that were investors that wanted to make money that would assume a certain level of risk, but that did not know about commodity investing, those people that currently just put their money in safer investments like mutual funds. And I came up with the idea that the mailing should be like a how-to course telling people about how they can get into making money in commodities. So the headline was the seven secrets to getting rich from commodity trading. So that was mailed into millions of pieces and brought in tens of thousands of new subscribers and new investors because it took the person from an investor of any type to getting them intrigued and interested into how they could make money investing in commodities. The headline drew them in, and they saw it wasn't as complicated as they thought it would be and how they could do it. See, concept is everything when it comes to marketing. Imagination is probably as valuable as anything in a marketing director or advertising director or copywriter or an entrepreneur because imagination is what took me out of saying, hey, here's a pork belly trade that we think can be very profitable for you on the XYZ Chicago Grain Exchange to the more broad and compelling the seven secrets to get rich from commodity trading. There's two things, Michael, I want to point out about that headline. Two keys to my copywriting success for clients and my own businesses, and that is that the word secrets, I know it's trite. We've all heard it a million times, but that's a magic word if there's such a thing as a magic word. There's a few scenarios where you don't want to use secrets, but there's very, very few. It's a hugely profitable word. And something, too, that I want to tell marketers is that they should try to put specific numbers in their marketing rather than general numbers in most cases. And specifics outpull generalities like the seven secrets that number seven. There's magic in there for some reason or in a lot of cases. I'll give you a perfect example here. One of the best headlines I ever wrote was for an obscure little company and an obscure little product. It was for a computerized liquor control unit that was sold to bar owners. And computers somehow measure the one-ounce shot, so bartenders didn't overpull. Yeah, I think I was reading that on your site. Yeah. The previous headline was something about, oh, it said, I think it was new computerized liquor control unit. Well, I changed the headline to, here's how to make an extra $125 a day that you're now losing from liquor overpours, free shots, and no charges, and it'll cost you only $4.32 a day. You talk about a lot of your projects and clients are beat the controls. Do you structure your fees differently when you're doing a beat the control piece compared to a fresh piece that there's no copy written for previously? And which one's more work and which ones do you prefer? Well, obviously, it's a lot more work if you have to develop something from scratch. What do I prefer? Oh, I like them both. If the product's right and the client's right. A beat the control piece can be very profitable, and sometimes you don't have to put near as much work into it, right? Yeah, that's right. Are the fees different, though, because there's less work involved? Yeah, I do charge a little less if it's beat the control. Not as much less as you would think because maybe I'm just not that bright, but I wind up having to spend a lot of time in the beat the control scenario because I remember, too, I mean, it's a control. It's harder to beat a big winner than come up with a brand-new concept, and because it's new and fresh, it works. It's almost harder to beat an established control than that, so while you're writing less words, you may be spending more time in that scenario. But when a client comes to you and says, I have a 
standing control, like a big client like Agora or Boardroom, and they have a long-standing control that's been worth millions and millions of dollars to them, and they come to you and they say they want to beat it. How protective are they with that control Meaning, what limitations would they expect or not expect when you come back with the copy? I mean, do you understand they don't want it messed with too much, or do they give you carte blanche and total free reign over it? Carte blanche, total free reign. You're the expert. Here's what we have working. In some cases, you may change it around totally and build a whole new idea and concept and piece, or will you just maybe look for weaknesses in the existing control and try and improve on what's already working? It depends what I think is necessary to come up with something that makes millions more dollars and is substantially more profitable. I would say that half of the time I do extensive, half of the time I do more of a tweak, you know, quote, unquote. All right, so if you beat it, like a big mailer, let's say they come to you, you do your thing, here's your version, and they'll test it. How many will they mail out to get a reliable test? And maybe that becomes a good question. What should an entrepreneur or a mailer or a copywriter working with clients, how many should they mail to really have a good statistical number on a test? You know, you hear 1,000, 5,000, 50,000. What's your opinion on that? First of all, I'm not a mailing list expert. We want to talk to Brian Kurtz at Boardroom Reports from a marketer standpoint as good as they get. My experience is that the bare bones minimum, even for a small direct marketer, bare bones, you want to test at least five different mailing lists and at a minimum 5,000 names on each mailing list, so that's 25,000 names. Now, that does not include test cells, like if you want to split test the price. You need 5,000 names mailed for any good test number to be confident in the results. Is that how a client will test to beat the control, your beat the control piece, something like that? No. I work with successful owner-led businesses that are well capitalized for the most part. If they got a piece from me, they would just pop it and mail at least 100,000 pieces or something. And then they'll measure it? Yeah. So when you do a beat the control piece, you know, you're giving me an example earlier that you'll charge five cents per piece or fifty dollars a thousand on a beat the control piece that you're modifying existing copy to try and beat do you charge the five cents a piece or fifty bucks a thousand or a little bit less? The same. Do you have clients who've been mailing your stuff for five, ten years, fifteen years? Yes, I do. Twelve years I think right now is about the most I can think of a client mailing right now. And every time he mails he cuts you a check? Yeah. Do they cut you the check right after the mailing goes out? No. Kind of like a payment period. For the pieces that they mailed in March, they owe me on or before April 15th, so the 15th of the following month. So you're not invoicing. It just comes automatically. Right. Let me ask you this question. How do you handle the copyright issues when a client comes to you and let's say he has a concept, an idea, for example, an information product? Do you keep control of the copyright and license the client to use your piece during his mailing? No, they own everything. They own everything. Okay. What do you charge for speaking fees? Well, one day is the minimum either for a consult or a speaking gig. You know, speech is not going to be one day. It's probably going to be a one-hour, 90-minute speech. Now it's $5,400. Best money you can spend if you're a direct marketer. Have a fresh set of experienced eyes coming. Yeah. Take a hard look at what you're doing, how you're doing it. Skyrocket your profits from things that you don't know. None of us, me, you, or anybody, we don't know what we don't know. On the website, I wrote a book, Mega Profit Copyright. It's really good for anybody that writes copy or buys copy. It kind of systemizes the seven steps to go through to write effective, profitable copy. What advice would you have for copy cubs, people wanting to get into the copywriting business, of how to get their copywriting business started off in the right manner, and what advice would you have for how they should get their first client? I think the copywriting field is more overcrowded now than any time I've ever seen it. I would not recommend anyone get into it. Why is that? A direct marketer of any note probably has 50 copywriters soliciting him to write copy for him. And there's various reasons for it, why this has happened in the last few years. Is it the proliferation of how to make money as a copywriting courses? Bingo, bingo, bingo. So you have all these inexperienced copywriters soliciting direct marketers to hire them to do copywriting. Yeah, and 
the best marketers have just tuned out new copywriters because of that. They're just rank amateurs that are approaching them, and they just stick with the tried and true. It doesn't make any financial sense for them to spend all their time and money with amateurs. When I say amateur, I don't mean that in a bad way, yeah. in a good way, but if they need an A-level copywriter, they're not going to spend their time in the copy cups and the new copywriters. Well, how do they break in? Let's say there's some very talented copywriters out there. They may not even realize they're an A-level, but they want to break in. How did you break in? There was a lot less competition when I did it, and it still took many, many, many years of aggressive, determined, selling, proving, maybe harassing. And now I would not recommend it. It's kind of like when the automobile came along, you don't want to be the guy selling the horse and buggies. It's not a good market anymore, as I see it. That's someone's dream. I guess they should give it up, but it's tough if you're new. So I did see that you're booked up. I mean, are you really booked up for a year ahead of time? Do you have all the work you can handle currently? Yes. So once you get in and you make a name for yourself, that's what can happen? Yes. But it'll take determination, persistence, some winning, and maybe some luck, and some who you know, and some creativity and breaking in. But it's doable, right? Anything's doable. You just have to pay the price. Today's society, unfortunately, people want instant gratification. It's not life. That doesn't happen. Life doesn't happen like that. Have you used audio interviews in any of your promotions that came in the mail with a sales letter or any feedback or advice on how to use audio components in bumping up response in a mailing or a website? I'm slow to that party, but I know it's a party that's worth going to. Everything I've heard about it, people that are using audio in their mailings and online have found it to be very profitable, almost without exception. And I have clients that are using it. From my standpoint as the copywriter for them, I don't get that involved in it. But to answer your question, Michael, I think it's the way to go. It's the way to go. You know, it touches a whole other way that people receive information. And to be able to pop something in a car and drive to or from work just adds a lot of credibility. Another way of getting sales and helpful information to people. And to me, it would be a no-brainer if you're in the right type of business for it to use audio. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, tell me, how can the listeners find out more about you? There's a book I wrote, Mega Profit Copyright. You can just get off the website. There's samples. There's articles on the website that can help you with your marketing. And from there, of course, if you do meet what I'm looking for in a client, you know, call me. If you have an exciting new project or if you have a big winner and that you're doing a lot of volume on and you want to make it more productive, call me. And the website is ProfitBoostersCopy.com. ProfitBoostersCopy.com. For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. That's the end of our interview with Mike Pavlish. If you'd like to contact Mike, please email me at michael at michaelsenoff.com or contact Mike through his website. Thanks for listening.